Hello, I am the host of Shifting Culture, Joshua Johnson. I just want to come on before the episode and tell you all thank you for listening. Did you know that big things are coming for Shifting Culture and you can be a part of it? We have just launched a Patreon. When you become a monthly patron to the show, you will get our episode ad-free, get early access to episodes, be able to download episode guides, and get bonus shows. Go to patreon.com slash shifting culture to support all that we are doing. Your support means that we can continue to help the body of Christ look more like Jesus. Again, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture. Thank you so much. Now, on to the episode. Hello, and welcome to the Shifting Culture Podcast, in which we have conversations about the culture we create and the impact we can make. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson. We long to see the body of Christ look like Jesus. Go to shiftingculturepodcast.com to interact or donate. And don't forget to hit the follow button on your favorite podcast app to be notified when new episodes come out each Tuesday. You know, it's been a fantastic 2022. Thank you for listening. And I've really loved being on this journey with you all. As you consider your year-end gifts, consider giving to this podcast and to the ministry that my wife and I do around the world. You can find the donation link in the show notes. Just hit the support the show button and it will direct you directly to our giving page. If you can't give at the moment, give a rating and review of the podcast at Apple Podcast and share the podcast with your friends and network. Thank you for your support in making the world look a little bit more like Jesus. Previous guests on the show have included Tori Hope Peterson, David Fitch, and Andrew Root. You could go back, listen to those episodes, and more. But today's guest is Sharon Hottie Miller. Sharon is teaching pastor at Bright City Church in Durham, North Carolina, which she co-founded with her husband, Ike. She has written three books, Free of Me, Nice, and her latest, The Cost of Control. Sharon and I have a conversation around control and anxiety, burnout, co-leading with your spouse, and stepping into the agency that God has given us. It's a great conversation. Enjoy this episode with Sharon Hottie Miller. Sharon, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you on. So thanks for coming. It's great to be with you. Yeah, I'd love to hear your story of how you started to realize that uh, control uh, was impacting your life well, it's funny because I get this question a lot. Like a lot of people, whenever you write a book about control, one of the first questions people ask is, when did you know you're a control freak? And the answer to that question is, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> if you had asked me several years ago, I would have told you this was not a big struggle of mine. I've never felt this major tension in my life with control. But the way that I came to this topic was actually as a pastor, watching our people respond to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as everything shut down in 2020, I was watching the people in my church, I was watching Christians online, not draw on the millennia of spiritual resources that have been yeah. handed down to us by Christians before us. You know, all of scripture was written by people who were oppressed, 
who were marginalized, who were exiled, who were persecuted, yeah. you know, everything that's been written to us about being content in all circumstances, being joyful in all circumstances were written by people who are walking the walk. And so this is available to us no matter what. And yet I'm not seeing our people, I'm not seeing the American church at large draw on those resources, draw on the security we have in Christ to face this uncertain future. Instead, I'm watching everyone bring all of their fears, all their anxiety to the internet, really, instead Mm. of to God. And that was bearing the fruit that you imagine it would. It was was causing anxiety to spike, not decrease. And so I could tell there was this major intolerance for uncertainty. There was a huge idol of control. And so I realized I really wanted to dive deeper into why, you know, how did this happen? This is clearly a discipleship problem. And so as I dug into it, I am also someone who my best teaching comes from conviction over my own sin. Like I, I think I'm speaking most prophetically and credibly when yeah. I'm I'm speaking honestly about my own struggles. And so at some point in that process, I I did turn the focus onto myself and consider, well, does this play out in your own life? Is it possible? <laughs> and, you know, spoiler alert, I do in fact struggle with control, <laughs> yeah. but I'd had a very narrow definition mm-hmm. of control. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why, like when I thought of someone who struggled with control, I thought of people that were either like domineering right. or I thought of people who were really high anxiety, like needed everything to be sort of, you know, controlled around them and were really thrown into a loop when anything changed. And that was kind of the two narrow definitions that I had. And because I didn't fit those, I thought, I don't struggle with this. But this this whole journey has helped me to expand my understanding of control Mm -hmm. in the first place. Yeah. And it reminds me, I mean, if you, you look at what, uh, what God has created, he's created a, a kingdom uh, where he rules and he reigns. Uh, mm-hmm. But oftentimes when we want to control, we want to try and build our own kingdom, right? We want right. to try to build the kingdom of Sharon or the kingdom of Joshua. And we oftentimes don't realize that we're doing it, that we're actually saying it's about me trying to control the things within my sphere of influence so that it actually builds up. Or uh, me as a leader, it would say, hey, I want to win no matter what. Um, And so I'm going to manipulate the situation so that we win at the expense and the cost of a relationship or the expense of the cost of other people. Um, mm-hmm. And it doesn't matter who gets in the way. We just want to win. Um, mm-hmm. And so how do we go from a place of a hey, we don't want to build our own kingdoms and control the things around us into a place where, hey, we want to be under the reign and rule of God in that and say, hey, let us steward or be uh stewards of what God has given us instead of trying to control and saying it's all about us. Mm -hmm. So one of the distinctions that I draw throughout the book is this distinction between control and agency. And I look at how God doesn't give us control over much of anything, but he does give us great agency in a lot. Yeah. And we see the difference between the two in Genesis 1 and 2. Like the book is basically a long meditation on Genesis 
three, this this moment where Adam and Eve defy the single boundary that God has placed on their power. And that's yeah. what we're doing anytime we try to control something God has not given us control over. But prior to that moment, it's not as if they're powerless. You know, mm-hmm. they're not in charge of the garden. They're not in control of the garden, but they still have influence. They still have purpose. They still have authority. Yeah. And so the the word that I used to describe that is agency, which is a psychological term. And it describes the power that we have to influence ourselves and our circumstances. Mm. And the operative word there being influence, not control. Yeah. And so to answer your question, one of the the distinctions that is really essential for us to make, especially as leaders, is to hold on to that influence that God has given us and put down the power that he has not given right. us to understand basically the limitations on our power. And it's easy to justify in, in kind of the scenario the scenario you were just describing, what's really easy both as pastors and also as parents, it is easy to talk yourself into why your control in this situation is actually okay because you're doing it for the right reason. Right. Like, you know what's best. You know what's best for your kids. You know what's best for your church. I mean, when yeah. with a pastor, you know, you are the one who eats, sleeps, breathes, bleeds, you know, for your church. <laughs> mm-hmm. so you're, you're deeply, deeply invested And so it's very easy to justify why it's okay for me to pressure my staff or to coerce Mm. my staff or to ask them to work, you know, more hours than is healthy for them, whatever it is, in service to this very good end. Mm. But what, you know, the whole title of the book is, if we fail to make that distinction between influence, between agency and control, and we venture into that, that territory of control it will come with a cost. Mm. We are, whenever we're trying to control something that God has not given us to control, we are defying God's created order. Yeah, We are exercising power in a broken way. And so it is going to cost either our relationships with our staff. You know, I mentioned parenting, our relationships with our kids. Yeah, It is also going to cost our own mental health. Like whenever I'm trying to push people in my church in a certain direction and they're not, you know, wanting to be pushed, yeah. it just creates more anxiety for me. I'm the one laying awake at night, you know, tossing and turning over these situations. And so that's one reason why it is very, very important for us to make that distinction Mm. in our leadership and not to deceive ourselves, basically, because because that that's the temptation is is you you're doing it for a good reason. It's not always (laughs) like I think that's another reason why I didn't see it in myself is when you think about a controlling leader, you think of the ones that have podcasts devoted about them. You know, you think of the ones that are in the headlines, but you don't think about the pastor who never observes Sabbath, who never takes a break, who has really poor work-life boundaries because they think that if they slow down, the whole thing Mm -hmm. is going to fall apart. And that looks like you're being a sacrificial pastor, but really that's a control issue. Mm. Yeah, and I I think that's that's the very truth. It's very much a control issue. Um, so, what does that look like for us to start to recognize that within us, especially when we say, "Hey, I'm not that 
that domineering, but how do we recognize control? And when we're we're stepping into control mode um, instead of being mutual with the people that we have? Mm-hmm. A big one for me and the person who really helped me with this was actually Steve Cuss. Do you know mm-hmm. that name? Yep. So his book, Managing Leadership Anxiety, for anyone listening who has not read it, I cannot recommend it enough. I mean, it was probably the number one resource for me and my husband navigating the pandemic was how to recognize anxiety in yourself, but also anxiety in the people that you're leading. Because one of the things he looks at is how anxiety is contagious and how as a pastor, especially people will come and they will want you to manage their anxiety and having the presence of mind to recognize that that is happening and that also, you cannot do that. You are not responsible for anyone else's anxiety and, and discipling them is teaching them how to manage their own anxiety. Like you yep. can't be Jesus for them. And so that book was really helpful. But all that to say, paying attention to your own anxiety is really, really important. Mm-hmm. And whenever you're feeling really anxious to be aware of specifically two things, one is to just ask the question, am I anxious right now? because I want to control something that I cannot control. Mm -hmm. And for me, that was a huge struggle during the pandemic when we were, every decision we made was going to disappoint someone. It just was because things are so polarized right now. Mm -hmm. And thinking, just constantly spinning my wheels, thinking like, what if I said it this way? What if I said Mm -hmm. it this way? Could I you know, convince them to agree with us. And and this was all about control. Like I was yeah. constantly thinking like, how can I make the people who disagree with us agree with us? Yep. And so this was causing me tremendous anxiety. But the other reason it's important to keep tabs on your anxiety is that the natural response to anxiety is control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And so it's like a cycle where sometimes you feel anxiety because you're trying to control something that you cannot control. Mm. But then ironically, we try to soothe that anxiety with more control. Mm. And that's the thing that is also just a real present temptation for me whenever people come to us and are basically saying, why aren't you more upset about this? You know, why aren't you as upset about this as I am? And, you know, kind of the implication there is what's wrong with you? You know, like that, that's as a leader, that's what you feel is uh, I must not be leading well. Like I must, or or my, my reputation as a leader is on the line right now because Mm. they think my moral convictions are not strong enough, whatever it is. Um, that I don't have my eye on the ball enough. Right. And so the temptation in that moment is to go into, I need to fix this mode mm. because this person is so anxious and it's making me anxious too. Yeah. And that is also a control response. And yeah. so I would say just being really self-aware and practicing self-examination mm. so that your anxiety is not in the driver's seat of your leadership. Uh, I think that's so Important. So you said that anxiety produces control and control produces anxiety. It's uh-huh. a vicious cycle. 
Um, and anxiety is contagious. So there's groupthink. So if we're all together in this non-controlled environment that uh, has uncertainty, uh, we don't know what our place is. We don't have our, we're not rooted so we can stand in a place uh, where we feel like we're secure. Uh, we're going to be anxious and then that's going to be contagious. So mm-hmm. is there a way through even that self-examination that you're talking about, then to start to produce something that is uh, non-anxious so that Mm -hmm. we can go into places and start to have a different type of an influence on the group uh, and on the whole than more anxiety that leads to more control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at the end of the book, in the last section, because I spend most of the book biopsying control and then at the very end i look at agency and how god gives us a bunch of different forms of agency and so i look at these different forms of agency that we see in genesis 1 2 and 3 and a huge one is one that i just named which is self-examination and we don't think of that necessarily as a form of influence but that's why i love that definition of control of of agency sorry as influencing yourself, that that you have Mm -hmm. tremendous agency over yourself and and how you respond. And that is, you know, really the kind of the breakdown for Adam is his inability to self-examine. Even in Genesis 3, when God asks Adam, where are you? That is a rhetorical question. You know, Mm -hmm. God is not, God is not confused where Adam is like you found a great hiding place bro you know that's not what is happening there he's he's stopping him and saying you know how did you get here like how did you go off the rails why didn't you come to me when a snake started talking to you you know why didn't you fact check any of this you know and all along the way Adam consistently makes the choice to just handle it himself and to never really search his own interior world. And so that is a huge form of agency for us is simply stopping and self-examining. And then another form of influence that we have over ourselves is is prayer is, you know, going to God and and bringing our interior world to him and and letting him search it and, you know, praying over, taking the time in the presence of God you know, to examine what is going on. And so for me personally, that has been really helpful to just see that this is what is happening because up until I wrote this book, I, I think the only category I really had for control was don't do it. Hmm. Like that was it. That was my only category was don't control. (laughs) Yeah which in the thick of it just wasn't helpful to me. Yeah. But through this journey, realizing it's not just that I don't have control. It's not just that I shouldn't control, but that it will actually cost me greatly Mm, when I try. And so having that, that reality in front of me and then being able to have the presence of mind when I'm spiraling out of control to just stop and realize I have now drifted into the realm of control. Yeah. I need this is this is where this is going to take me that mm-hmm. if I keep pushing in this direction has been really, really helpful for me. Yeah, that's really good. You know, I'd love to as sit a little bit here as leaders when we're 
a lot of leaders, sometimes they demand uh, loyalty, either to themselves or to the organization, to the church, uh, which is a, a form of control to get people to to do what they want them to do so that, I mean, th they could have good motivations, but ultimately they want to see something happen. So they're trying to get other people on board. Um, so there's that aspect of it that's a little bit can be domineering and sometimes they're uh, demanding loyalty in a soft way um, and trying to manipulate a little bit. So how do we, uh, as people that are around leaders that are engaging in this con control mode, uh, how can the congregation or the staff or the people around that leader actually change course and start to see that we're all in this together and it's not just about the one leader? Mm -hmm. That is a really tricky question. And to some extent, I think the answer is going to vary a little bit depending on the level of the toxicity yeah. of the leader. But short of this being a abusive, severely dysfunctional environment, I would say that another form of agency that is really helpful in situations like this one is living within limits, restoring limits. Mm. And we see this again in Genesis 1 and 2, where Adam and Eve, they are the most free that two people have ever been in the history of humanity, yeah. not in the absence of boundaries, but because of their boundaries, that that was actually a part of their flourishing, that they were so free because they were not in charge, but because mm. God was and how part of the way that we can exercise agency in our own lives is restoring those God-given boundaries into our lives. And this can play out in so many different ways. Like one way that, that we look for control, look for a feeling of control is with our smartphones and with the internet. Yeah. And instead of empowering us, it actually overwhelms us. And so having boundaries with your phone is actually a great form of agency mm -hmm that staves off the anxiety that that creates. But in the situation of a leader who is is really toxic or, or not really toxic, but a leader who is is controlling maybe, yeah. you know, or is unhealthy, that at the end of the day, you can't necessarily change that leader, but you right. can have boundaries with that leader. Mm. And so if you're in a a, an environment where maybe they are controlling or they are not honoring God's boundaries for them, you still need to honor God's boundaries for you. Yeah. And so if you are maybe being asked to work all the time to be able to say, I need to have Sabbath and like, this is my Sabbath day. Yep. Don't call me on this day. You know, I, I think that's a very, and obviously you don't say it that way, but <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I think that's actually something that I think we're going to, in the new year, we're actually as a staff going to, and I know a lot of churches do this already, but we, I don't know what everyone on my staff, what their Sabbath day is. Yeah. And so making sure that we all know what one another's that's Sabbath good. is so that they can be fully offline and we're not contacting them. And so establishing your own boundaries of saying, if it's Sabbath, 
I'm not going to pick up the phone. I'm not going to respond to emails. Or even it could be if it's after 6 p.m., unless it's an yeah. emergency or unless I'm working some special pre-planned event, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be available. Yeah. And so having having your own boundaries is is really healthy mm. and empowering. And then if if your leader is unable to respect those boundaries, then that is a very different conversation. Right. But I would say boundaries is a really great place to start. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's great. And it actually starts to order uh, the whole mm-hmm. place and the whole organization yes. uh, mm-hmm. because I think the leaders start to realize, wow, this is what people need and this is what people want and this is how people are acting. And either I need to get on board or I need to leave and and try and do something somewhere else. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's uh, that would be really helpful for people is to set boundaries. And I know that the people, I know the staff that have set boundaries with me, um, I have a lot of respect for, and I have respect for those boundaries. And I actually find it very healthy, and, I'm, and I cheer them on. Um, but the problem is, if I have people that don't set boundaries, it's really easy for me to tap into their non-boundaries um, yeah. at any time. So I think yeah. boundaries are so important. That's such a good good point. Yeah, and with and that's something we've learned the hard way when we have staff that we are over and they don't have boundaries. What ends up happening is we unintentionally burn them out, yeah. and then they resent us. And so that's something that we really push hard. And with some some of our staff, we really have to, it's like a dead horse almost. We're like, <laughs> when is your Sabbath? When is your Because <laughs> we know like where this will go if, yeah. if they don't have boundaries as well. Yeah, that's good. I'd love to to talk. You know, my wife and I uh, co-lead. We're co-directors here at our uh, mission agency. Um, and you and your husbands are co-pastors. You're leading together. Um, you're also married. You're raising children together. I, I, same with my, my wife and I. Um, and so how does that all work, uh, especially within your uh, professional relationship, uh, leading together, and then going back and into the, the household and being married together. And I know it blurs, the lines get blurry uh, and things, but how do you uh, stay as this husband-wife relationship and this co-leading relationship? It has been hard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it has been for you and your wife, but I think what made it harder was probably the pandemic Mm -hmm. because there was a, such a long period of time where work was done at home. So there was no, it all sort of bled into one another. And so we've tried to be really intentional about having boundaries. So we do have, you know, on Saturday, really from Friday night to Saturday night, we are not working and we're not talking about work. And then even if we are after in the evenings, you know, if we're with family, we're not going to be talking about work. And so we're really intentional about that. But the thing that we've had to navigate more recently is realizing that it's hard if you have a tense interaction in a staff meeting, Mm -hmm. it's hard to leave that in the staff meeting. Like you sort of carry that home with you. 
And so we've had to reach out to other couples who are doing this and and ask for their wisdom. And we had a really great conversation actually a few months ago now with a, a couple. They co-lead a church in Chicago. And their names are Jarrett and Jeannie Stevens. Mm-hmm. And they've been doing it a lot longer than us. They've been leading about at least 10 years. And one thing that they said that I thought was so wise is they talked about having a clearing, like if they mm-hmm. have a meeting where there's conflict and they leave one of them feeling kind of a way about the other is before they, you know, in the day is they'll, they'll come to the other and basically say, I think the language they used was when you said this, or when you did this in the meeting, the story that I wrote about that was this. And it's a less personal way of saying this is how it made me feel, basically, and and kind of names like this is the emotional reality that I began to inhabit. Yeah. And so it gives the spouse a chance to correct it and for you to kind of hash hash that out. And I really I liked that a lot. But the other thing that we've realized really within the last year is that we've been good about boundaries, but we really have to church is constantly pursuing our marriage Hmm. and we have to pretty aggressively fight back (laughs) in some way. And so we've had to, and especially in the last six months, we've become much more intentional about really taking church out of our marriage as much as possible. Hmm. And being in as few meetings as possible and me realizing for the longest time, I kind of thought about how I wore two hats that I wore my pastor hat and my wife hat. And when I was in conversations with my husband about the church, I would always be asking, do I need to have my wife hat on or my pastor hat on right now? (laughs) And I finally had the realization about a year ago that I can never take off my wife hat. Yeah. And I don't know why, because I would never, with my kids, I would never say, am I wearing my pastor hat or my mother hat right Right. now? I would never ask that question. I'm Mm -hmm. always only their mother. And so that was sort of a realization too, that I I don't get to have two hats with my husband. Mm. I'm, I'm first and foremost his wife. And I, that really has to be, even in staff meetings, that has to be the primary Mm. way that I relate to him. And that was a pretty huge realization for me because I, I am really good at compartmentalizing. Like I can in a staff meeting be like, we're coworkers, we're staff, we're just spitballing here and (laughs) devastating him, you know? (laughs) And I don't know if that's like a male female thing or for, uh, he's an Enneagram three. I don't know what it is. Cause he like, when he gives me feedback on my preaching, I'm like, great, you know, keep it coming. And when I give him feedback, he's like, I am devastated. So it really, you know, it's been stuff like that where we've just had to learn, you know, how to navigate, but it's, it's been hard. There aren't that many people, there aren't that many examples to look to. So it's been a lot of like trial and error. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, my wife and I, we really, I mean, we're both Enneagram threes. My wife and I are both Enneagram threes. Oh, wow. Okay. And uh, so we're both uh, people that, I mean, we actually put our masks on and we try to perform well and we say, Mm -hmm. hey, everybody look at us. We're we're doing great. We're awesome. Uh, So for us, it's actually been a, a trial of trying to figure out how do we, 
how do we really take our masks off? How do we mm-hmm. uh, start to reveal who we truly are? Um, mm-hmm. And I've come to the this place maybe a few years ago. I think, you know, a lot of husbands and wives there, I mean, when they come home, they're able to talk about work or they're able to talk about their day to catch up and connect a little bit. And so we're not able to do that. So I'm going to have to figure out what do I enjoy in life? Um, who am I? Um, mm-hmm. And it's been t- it's taken a lot of self uh, examining of of myself to figure out who I am, um, mm-hmm. and when and that actually then has created a lot of safety and it's created a lot of health in our marriage and our leading relationship when we're leading together is that I'm not trying to just impress my wife uh, as a coworker or as a husband. I'm actually revealing myself. Uh, to my wife. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's helped uh, a tremendous amount um, as we've continued to to thrive and move forward together. Mm -hmm. That's a great way that you're trying to impress your wife, because I think that is for my husband is an Enneagram three. I think that's like a a part of it that and I think he would (laughs) readily, you know, admit that. So, yeah, it's hard work. <laughs> so then how in, in that say, OK, you're in a you're in a staff meeting or you're you're trying to navigate a, a decision together. You want to go one way. He wants to go another way. How do you navigate that? Well, we one thing that we've done in the last year is we have very distinct lanes. Mm. And so he is the this isn't a title that we have anywhere. It's more kind of just something that we have between us for reference. But he is pastor of operation and I'm pastor of formation. And so he is much more the manager. You know, he meets with almost all of our staff and manages them and um, they're his, you know, direct reports and all of that with one exception. Well, I'm over worship and small groups, basically okay. anything that has more to do with spiritual formation yeah. is my area, but he is the day to day. He's the details, yeah, all of that. Helpful. I'm like big picture visionary. Um, we both, we both kind of handle culture, but in kind of different ways. Mm. And so a lot of that actually resolves any tension and decisions because a lot of things where we disagree, if it's not my lane, then I don't speak into it, you know, unless I'm asked. And that has been really helpful for us. Yeah. You know, there's a a lot. So, okay, we could talk about control. We can know about control. We could say, I know everything that that I'm not supposed to control. I'm actually supposed to be uh, have a role in this kingdom that I have agency in it. God has given me agency in here. We could know all of those things. But if we don't practice it, if we don't actually live into it, uh, it's not going to make a lick of change in our lives. Right. So how can we start to practice it um, and how can we practice it together in community? Mm hmm. Well, not to just be a broken record, but I do think the self-examination piece is is really huge where you're able to have the presence of mind to realize that this is what is happening so that I can because you can't stop it if you don't realize it's happening. Yeah. And I think that one of the mistakes we make is especially that relationship between anxiety and control is we sort of mislabel the source of our anxiety. And it's easy to do because Mm. 
anxiety is multifaceted. It's caused by a lot of different things. But when you're feeling anxious about something, it's easy to just blame something else and say, I'm feeling anxious because of X, Y, Z. And that could be true. Like if you are a parent with an adult child who is making really destructive decisions, your anxiety is, is in large part due to that. But what we miss is that you are making your anxiety much, much worse by now trying to control this situation. And also because you're trying to control them, you are breaking your relationship with them even worse. And so that is, is really pivotal question to be asking is, is why am I feeling this way? And then asking, you know, or, or having the presence of mind to identify, I am controlling the situation. And then being, you know, occupying essentially reality. Like, I, th- I think that's the other temptation of control is the illusion of it is, is we think that I can get away with this. I can control this situation right. and it will work out, which is an illusion that is not <laughs> God's created design. And so returning to reality and then asking the real question, which is, what is the cost? What will the cost of this be? Mm. If I continue in this direction, what will it cost my marriage? What will it cost my relationship with my adult child? What will it cost my relationship with my staff? Mm. And is getting my way in this moment worth that cost? Mm. And with me and my husband, that that question has been huge for church decisions yeah. when we do disagree. Is is as soon as I'm realizing I'm starting to push my husband and in a in a way that is coercive, mm-hmm. is is pressuring him that this is going into the realm of control at this point yeah. where I, I know how to get my way, but it will cost my marriage. Is it worth it? Mm. Yeah. And the answer is always no. It is because mm. at the end of the day, if if our marriage is struggling, we can't lead the church. Right. You know, that that oh, yeah. you know. And so that has been really huge for me is, is honestly just not asking how can I control, should I control, mm. but what will it cost me if I continue in this direction? That has been huge for me. Mm. Yeah. Self-control produces anxiety and then also exhaustion, uh, burnout, uh, these these types of things. Uh, are there any spiritual exercises, spiritual disciplines that we could start to engage in uh, that help us release control? Mm-hmm. Well, I've already mentioned this one as well, but the spiritual discipline of rest is mm. huge. Yeah, Rest is is not just God's gift to us, but it is God's way of reminding us of his created order. and our proper place in it. And so I would say rest, practicing Sabbath once a week, but also having other rhythms of rest is a really Mm. huge one for reminding yourself, preaching to yourself, I am not in control of it. This world, this ministry, my family, whatever it is, it does not spin on the axis of me. Mm. Yeah, which is really crucial. You know, rest produces trust. And trust mm-hmm. in God that He's actually going to be faithful in the midst of things, and things are going to 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 work out. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this summer, this coming summer, my wife and I are going to take our first sabbatical, a three month sabbatical. Which wow, 
Wow. Is rest and it's yeah. and there's purpose to it. There's all sorts of things. But one of the things that it's going to do is that it's going to say that, oh, it actually doesn't depend on me. Things actually move on without me. Um, and that gives us a totally that hopefully will give us a totally different viewpoint and perspective on our work of is it really just about us trying to to win or is it about us trying to join God in the redemption and reconciliation of all things? Like, am am I joining God in his work or am Mm -hmm. I trying to produce something on my own? And so that's what uh, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what that extended time of rest does, Mm -hmm. not only for my relationship with my work, my mm-hmm. relationship with God and my wife, but also the relationship with the staff and my team, knowing that, hey, they actually have a part to play mm-hmm. and a bigger part to play and they could do it uh, without us. So yeah. are you all going to go on any fun vacations or anything? Uh, I think we'll, 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 we might travel through Europe a bit. We have a, we have a missionary uh, yeah, gathering that we're doing uh, the beginning of August. And so our sabbatical end of the end of July and then we want to get there. So we'll be traveling through Europe um, and hopefully having a good old time uh, and getting some good rest. But I would love to. The next th- big thing I want to do is go to the fjords in Norway. So hopefully, oh, wow. hopefully we could get that done. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds awesome. It'll be fun. It'll be good. Um, and so, all right. Anything uh, else as you're thinking, what are a couple of keys, uh, key takeaways you want to leave uh, the audience with when it comes to yeah, control um, and agency? Mm-hmm. Well, the main note that I, I always like to land on is a note of grace because with control, we tend to think of control as purely a sin category, an idolatry category that you want to control because you believe your life would be better if you were in the driver's seat instead of God. And that is an idolatry of self, basically. And control does belong to that category. That, That is sin. But I'd like to remind people as well that a big part of the reason we struggle with control is that the world is not as it should be. You know, yeah. we we live in this post-Genesis 3 world, but we were created for Genesis 1 and 2. And that is the at the core for a lot of us at that desire for control, especially when it has to do with someone that we love is is walking down the path of peril your desire to pluck them off that path and turn them around Mm. that's not sin you know that that is your soul recognizing the brokenness of this world and and so whenever you're desiring security or stability for yourself or for people that you love that isn't wrong. That was actually put in you by God. You were created for security. You were created yeah. for stability. And so you yearning for those things is, is never wrong. It's mm. it's how we go about pursuing them is, is when we go off the rails, when we try to use mm. control yeah. to provide something that we already have available to us in Christ. Yeah. But I say that all that to say, if you are struggling, especially with when, when we're talking about control, sometimes we're talking about really raw, painful situations. Yep. 
And so I want to say if, if that is where you're at listening right now, that your struggle with control to know that the heart of God is, is for you mm. and, and that the heart of God grieves with you. And at the end of the day, that is why Jesus came, you know, yeah. is to make right what we cannot, like we, you can't fix whatever is going wrong right now. You cannot fix what is broken in the world. Only Jesus can, but that is why he came. Yeah. And so I, I just think that that note of of grace and compassion is, is really important in this mm. conversation because it, it can be like really tender yeah. and just to say that God, God knows that and, and he mm. sees and 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 he is for you. Yeah. And I think that's grace for us and grace for others. It reminds me of the, the woman being stoned, uh, wanting to be stoned for adultery and the, the men coming and dragging them her to Jesus. Um, and they wanted some control over the situation. They wanted to control Jesus and and, and catch him in a, in a place where it says the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you think we should do? Um, and, you know, he basically says that he that has, is without sin cast the first stone, knowing that, oh, he's actually then <laughs> controlling that. So she's trying to to control the situation, get out of it. Um, but then Jesus gives her some grace. He says there's no mm-hmm. condemnation here, but then go and sin no more. And I think that uh, when we have grace, like grace that Jesus gives to other people saying, there's no condemnation, but then go and change your life. Like we could actually then have grace on ourselves and saying, oh, I actually now have the power and agency to change and to move forward when I have grace. So I think grace for us and ourselves and grace for others, I think is a crucial piece. And so thank Mm -hmm. you uh, for that. If you could go back uh, to your 21 year old self, what advice would you give? Hmm. Like related to control or anything in general? My 21-year-old self. Hmm. That's a great question. I think I would encourage her to, I would encourage her passion for Jesus. As a 21-year-old, I was so just on fire for Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so I think I would really say, trust that, keep going. That is important and real but also there's a lot that you still don't understand and so be humble Mm. and be a good listener and just because people express their faith or live their faith a little bit differently than you doesn't mean you get to stand over them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's so I was kind of I was pretty legalistic <laughs> as a 21 year old I'm not gonna lie I was kind of a jerk <laughs> as a yeah as a young zealous people we could definitely mm-hmm. be uh be like that uh mm-hmm. that's that's really good advice that's great humility is is definitely a big key anything you've been reading or watching lately you could recommend I mean, a lot. Right now, I'm actually reading uh, Bob Iger's autobiography. Mm-hmm. Do you know who that is? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He was the, he was the CEO he's, of he's Disney. Now he is now currently the CEO of Disney as well. He's yeah, reinstated. He reinstated. And I'm a big Disney girl. And so I thought, you know what? In honor of his return, I'm going to read his autobiography. And so 
I've been doing that and it's, it's been really good. It's a really interesting, mm. he's, he's a very good leader. And so he yeah. has a lot of great insights. So yeah, I really, I've really liked that. And then I just finished up another book on parenting called hold on to your kids that I really liked a lot. Mm. Um, more of a theology book that I read recently that I really liked is called love thy body by Nancy Piercy. And mm. that's a really helpful look at how our culture relates to our bodies basically. Yeah. And what a Christian theology of the body is in contrast. And it's mm. very timely. Mm. So I really liked that as well. Mm. Those are great recommendations. Um, yeah, I'm excited, uh, well, to dive into that uh, Bob Iger autobiography. I think yeah, that it's called The Ride of a Lifetime, I think. The first, like, the first, the prologue, mm. I was, like, weeping. I was really, <laughs> just to hold on to your, it, it, I, like, was very affected mm. by it. Wow. So just get ready. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to go and weep. That'll be great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be good. Uh, yeah. Sharon, how could people uh, connect with you, uh, get your book or your other books? How could, uh, what, what, where would you like people to I am to most you? active on Instagram. So you can okay. just find me at Sharon H. Miller on Instagram. Perfect. All right. Go find Sharon, connect with her on Instagram, uh, and go get her book, The Cost of Control. And so figure out how we could uh, release control, what is the cost of it, uh, and how we could actually operate in the agency that God has given us. Uh, Sharon, it was a fantastic conversation, uh, really fascinating and good. So I appreciate it so much. So thank you very much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you want to see more episodes like this, go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron of the show. You can help us produce more episodes so that we can see the body of Christ look more like Jesus. If you become a patron on patreon.com slash shifting culture, uh, you will get early access to episodes. You will get episode guides. You will get bonus shows, hopefully, and more. So go to patreon.com slash shifting culture and become a monthly patron. Also leave a rating and review on Apple podcasts. Uh, it really helps us out and helps us find new listeners to the show and just go and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your network, people that you think would enjoy it as well. Thank you again for listening to the show. I hope you have a great week.